Welcome to the McLean Church Podcast, where we discuss how our lives and our faith come together in practical ways. Now here's your host, McLean Church Campus Pastor, Ben DiStefano. Welcome to episode one of the McLean Church Podcast. My name is Ben DiStefano, and our hope for this podcast is to take the biblical insights, challenges, and teachings from McLean Church and help us see how life and faith meet and are lived out day in and day out. Joining me today is lead pastor for McLean Church, Brian Kelly. Brian, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being our first guest. Well, thanks, Ben. It's really great to be here and uh, really excited to use this new venue to communicate some important truths and some important uh, information, especially as our church engages in this new Immerse uh, Bible reading program. What an opportunity we're going to have over the next few weeks to uh, answer some questions uh, right. that have been raised in, in our reading of the New Testament. Yeah, we should probably uh, at the top say a big shout out to... Uh, Cam, the community access uh, media of Erie County and the city for uh, providing the podcast space, a beautiful facility to work with and uh, really, really great guys to, to be working yeah, with. Yeah, great people and a great facility that we can use, again, to just have one more medium uh, to help people connect with some of these realities we're talking about as a church. Absolutely. So one of the one of the things I said a moment ago was that uh, our goal with the podcast is to help people uh, you know, navigate life and faith day in and day out. Um, and I think, you know, as I think about churchgoers or even people who are seeking faith or people who are questioning faith, that kind of becomes the 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 challenge, right? Like, how do I take my faith or how do I take these teachings, whether I believe it or not? Mm-hmm. And and there there seems to be sometimes this challenge in the intersection of what we're hearing and how we live it out every single day. So this fall, you've challenged us to to read through the New Testament together in a, in a unique way. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, the why behind that? Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited uh, to be using the Immerse uh, Bible Reading Plan, uh, which is put out by Tyndale House Publishers. And uh, this is a great opportunity to, to read the Bible maybe in a little bit different way than people ever have before. Uh, the publisher has taken the books of the Bible and arranged them more in a chronological or thematic order. And they've eliminated a lot of the extra clutter, like the uh, the chapter and verse markings and footnotes and paragraph headings, uh, to make the Bible read more like a, a, a typical book. And we're really excited about this because we think it's an opportunity for people uh, to look at the Bible, read the Bible through through fresh eyes and with a fresh lens. Uh, you know, we all come with preconceived notions about the Bible, even if we've never read it. And uh, we're trying as best we can to just uh, start very fresh and let the biblical text speak to us uh, with the intention and the power that it was originally designed. Nice. So, um... So if I'm if I'm reading this text, what in, in this way, um, how much do I have to read every day? You know, uh, you say yeah. the New Testament yeah. through the fall. Yeah. For, you yeah. know, for some people that can seem overwhelming yeah. or well or it's daunting. A, it's a really great uh, opportunity because again, what the publisher has done is taken uh, the 27 books of the New Testament. 
uh, arrange them over an eight-week reading plan where you're reading five days a week, about 10 or 12 pages a day. So, so not a lot of material every day. And just by consistently doing that over two months, uh, you read through all 27 books, but you not just uh, not only read through them, you hopefully read through them in a, in a more meaningful way. And again, perhaps um, you hear or see things uh, that maybe you've never heard or noticed before because the text is arranged in just a little different style. Right. So if you're familiar with a book club or you're an avid reader, this is going to be right up your alley. You're going to you're going to pick up and and it's going to feel like a good solid read. Yeah, absolutely. And probably more the way the Bible was intended to be read. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly uh, when the Bible was when the books of the Bible were originally written and again these are these are ancient documents. Um, they, they weren't written with chapter and verse markings. They weren't written with footnotes or study notes. Mm. Uh, they weren't written with cross-references or paragraph headings. They were, they were written just like uh, normal books. And um, what we've done to try to make the Bible a little more studyable or accessible is we've added a lot of those extra things like chapter and verse markings uh, to help us reference different parts of the Bible. But in reality, what I think that's inadvertently done is it's made the Bible a little more like a textbook mm -hmm. th than like a book. Right. And, right. and certainly in doing that, uh, when we take the literature of the Bible and try to make it just a textbook, we certainly lose some of the power and some of the beauty of the biblical text. Right. So we're going to pick up on that in maybe the first question, because I, I got a couple of thoughts sure. about that, that, you know, from my background, from my upbringing that, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, a couple of questions that I've heard people ask in passing about that. But uh, but as we look at uh, the challenge as a whole, in what ways do you see people interacting with the immerse challenge and the readings? How, how, do, how do we as the average person at home do the challenge? Yeah. Well, I think by taking time each day to, to, to try to read the designated sections, and again, recognizing that probably none of us will do that, that perfectly over an eight-week period, but by trying to devote some consistent time each day where we just read the text and, and we let the text speak for itself. You know, um, people uh, of, of um, all faith and no faith have always recognized that the biblical record, it's, it's unique. Uh, there's a unique power uh, in these ancient writings. And again, uh, you know, depending on your, your faith perspective, uh, you, you might attribute that to different things. But, but most every person has recognized historically that, that there is something unique about this book. There's, there's a spiritual power present in it. And by, by reading these texts on a daily basis, uh, we expose ourselves to, to some of that beauty and some of that power. And again, our hope is that we'll do that uh, through fresh eyes yeah. as we engage with this. So what do you tell, what do you tell the person who's a, who's a little uh, linear in their, in their habits or a little, you know, um, uh, you know, they, they like to dot all <laughs> right, the I's, cross right. all the T's. Right. And you know what, I've, I've, yeah. for whatever reason, I missed two yeah. days. Now yeah. I'm 30 pages behind. Yeah. What do you tell yeah, them? Yeah, try to get over that 
try try to read uh, the Bible in this uh, in this experience more like you'd you'd read a novel on your nightstand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm reading a book right now that I've been reading for about three or four months, and you know, I'll read a little bit of it, and then I won't read it for a, a few days or even a few weeks. I don't feel guilty or bad about that. I right. just pick it back up and enjoy it uh, when I'm able to. Uh, we really want people to enjoy the biblical text in this experience and not see it as a as another thing I have to do, as another box I have to check off, but something I want to do because I really want to engage with, with this material in, in a new and a fresh way. Right. And so like on the weekend then, um, what we would typically call the weekend pre-COVID. Now we're now we're taking <laughs> the uh, week. Yeah, now we're taking the week, and yep. and that's that's an important thing yep. for for McLean Church and listeners that are tuning in who may not be part of our church to understand that that now during this COVID era, we're really taking the approach that that worship isn't about the weekend. Worship is about every day during the week, and we're working hard to meet people where they are with a theme or a thought that may start on the weekend, but stretches out over the week. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And and probably more in line with how some of the first Christians understood their faith. Um, it wasn't about a weekend experience. It was about an everyday experience. There, there wasn't one Sabbath day in the week. Every day was a Sabbath. There wasn't one day that the resurrection was celebrated. Every day was the day of resurrection. So uh, as, a, as a sort of an inverted consequence of, of the pandemic right now, uh, we're being pushed more into that understanding or a recapturing of that understanding, which is a good thing. Right. And so as we, as we uh, use uh, the weekend to start a new cycle of teaching that'll mm-hmm. spread out throughout the week, Right. Um, if you're part of McLean Church or you tune into McLean Church online or through a life group during the week, whenever that is, you're going to pick up uh, a teaching by you or, or another uh, one of the other campus pastors in this immerse series that um, is is part of the ten day or part of the five day reading cycle, mm-hmm. but if you're not if if you don't attend the church or see the ser- the sermon or you didn't do all the readings, that's okay because we're all we're all in the same uh, water together. Absolutely, right? And yes. So it it yeah. kind of works out. Yeah, absolutely. You'll you'll get something from this experience no matter how much or how little you you can be involved in it. as I was thinking about it, you know, anytime we read the Bible or, you know, we walk out of a a church service or go home from a life group meeting, we we always have questions. Sure. What did he say? What what was that all about? I'm not really, like he said it and I nodded my head, but I'm not really sure I understood it or agreed with it. Um, And so we've decided we want to uh, appeal to those questions and provide answers. So that's where this podcast comes in. Uh, So let's look at some of the questions we have coming into this first week of the Immerse Challenge. So uh, question one, we touched on it just a moment ago uh, briefly, but when, when did... When did the chapters and verses come into the copies of the Bible that were being printed? Because it seems like in our culture, chapter and verse is a pretty big deal. Right. And if you've grown up in the North American church, you've probably, in debating other Christians, you've probably heard the phrase chapter and verse, right. <laughs> meaning where, how can you prove that biblically? Right. So right. where did that come from? And, and, yeah. and is it, 
is it okay to read the Bible without <laughs> chapters and verses? Yeah. Like that yeah. almost feels like sacrilegious for some of us. Yeah, well, it's a great question, and it is very much okay to read the Bible without <laughs> chapter and verses because uh, we know that that chapter and verse are not in the biblical record for the first fifteen hundred years of mm. its existence. Uh, chapter and verse markings don't appear really in earnest until till the sixteenth century. So, so the fifteen hundreds or or those who, who study church history, you know, think of the, the time of the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when those get added to the text. So, you know, when Paul writes uh, his, his famous letter to the Romans, or uh, Luke writes his gospel, or the, uh, the books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are written, they aren't written with chapter and verse markings. They're written uh, just like we would write a, a, a book today. Uh, of course, uh, the older the documents would have been written on on scrolls. All mm-hmm. of them would have originally been written on scrolls. Later, they come into book form, but again, without these chapter and verse markings. But when we hit the 16th century, uh, we find people more engaged in the study of Scripture, and with uh, that study came a need to be able to specifically reference different portions of the Scripture. So, so the chapter and verse markings are added, and they're added fairly logically, not, not always so. Sometimes you have a verse that breaks in the middle of a thought or a chapter that breaks mm-hmm. in the middle of the thought, but the intention was to try to add them in a, in a, in a logical and reasonable way so that the Bible could be referenced more easily. And, and again, if somebody studied uh, ancient literature, you know a lot of ancient documents have had uh, chapter and verse markings added to them. Um, you know, if you read the writings of Plato, for instance, a, a lot of versions of that would have uh, chapter and verse uh, markings in it so that it could be referenced. The, the inadvertent consequence of those chapters and verses is now, um, you know, 500 years later, mm-hmm. uh, we've inherited this book that looks more like a textbook uh, than it yeah. does than it does a, a a beautiful piece of literature with all different uh, types of literary styles and genres. It just looks like a textbook to us where I can go grab little chunks uh, at my will and wish, uh, usually to prove my point. And I would argue that that when we do that, we really kind of violate the integrity of the text as a whole, mm-hmm. certainly meant to be read more holistically than than fragmentedly, which is our tendency with the, the chapter and verse designations. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that I appreciate about, about your teaching and what we try to do as a church is we're always talking about context. Mm-hmm. Context matters. So to, to, to pull to your point, to pull a verse chapter and verse reference here and there and try to build an argument really does a disservice to the context in which it was written because that author wrote to those people in a time, at a, at a time, in a place, right. in a certain uh, uh, area for a reason. Right. When, and then when you pull that and add it to another chapter and verse, which was written to a different people right. at a different time, right? And so now then we can get into trouble and, and absolutely we, we misinterpret things. And, and and that's easy to understand because anybody who's ever done any public speaking or ever giving uh, given any interviews uh, knows how easily it is to have uh, phrases or sentences or independent thoughts uh, taken and highlighted mm-hmm. that that sound like one thing if someone didn't hear everything right. that you were saying and 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 we've done that very inadvertently with the biblical record but but in doing so 
uh, we've probably missed a, a lot of the original intent, and I would argue the original power yeah. of the text. I, I, I've often said um, to, to people or, or in situations, you know, finish the verse, because mm-hmm. oftentimes what happens is, you know, people quote something right. um, to prove their point, right. to make an argument so that they can do whatever they want to do with their argument. But what they missed was the next verse, right. which almost deflates the 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 motive of their argument. So, right. for instance, John three sixteen, perhaps with chapter and verse, the most famous Bible passage in the right. world, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, uh, for whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We love that verse. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to say that verse. But we miss 17. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, mm-hmm. but to save the world through him. And so, and so, and we, and we miss the bigger context, which is really what is eternal life all about. Right. And it's 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 not uh, heaven in the future. That's right. one that's one small dimension of it. It's it's a transformed life in the present. And without the context, we miss all that, and, mm-hmm. and eternal life becomes what we think it should be exactly. in this present moment. So it's so to put all all of us that kind of maybe grew up in a church or in an in a in an academic circle where the chapters and the verses were important. Maybe if you were what what uh, people would call a Bible quizzer in the mm-hmm. back, right, back in right. the day, where chapter and verse right. was not that any of that is bad, right. but but. But I think what we're reminded of is that there's no power in the chapter and the verse. The power is in the Word of God. Right. And again, I would argue it's the same way we treat any other work of literature. You know, when you were in high school English class, uh, you didn't you didn't dissect the books that you were reading in that class, you know, sentence by sentence or isolated segment by isolated segment. You you looked at it as a whole, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what I'd argue. Um, this this opportunity gives us uh, as we read the Bible uh, through the immerse uh, opportunity. Great. So let's go to a second question, sure. a little off the yeah. uh, historical of uh, historical side of chapter and verse, but a little bit more into maybe the history of the Bible narrative mm-hmm. as, as we see it. So as we read Immerse, Messiah, which is the, the first compilation in the series, um, we see Jesus revealing to us the love and, and compassion of God. Mm-hmm. When we read the Old Testament, the pre-birth uh, accounts of Christ. We we read stories of of battles, of conquering, of God sending plagues, and mm-hmm. and and almost this this picture of an angry God. So how do we square the two? How do we square the, yeah. the maybe the angry God of the Old Testament yeah. and the compassionate God of the New Testament? How do we square those two? Yeah. Well, it's a great question, and 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 books <laughs> books have been written. On that question, so uh, we'll only give a few a few thoughts, maybe in the time we have here. And again, um, lots of different scholars, thinkers, theologians have proposed different answers. But it, for me, uh, the answer lies uh, not so much in are the gods of the Old Testament and the New Testament are are they different, or was it simply the writer's understanding? of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament uh, that was really different or that that changed. So again, again let, let me explain and um, kind of think through this with me. Um, 
God by his nature is is infinite and we would we would say largely indescribable. Uh, the moment we can uh, perfectly describe or define God, God ceases to be God. Uh, the, the, the infinite is only infinite when it can't be limited by finite definitions. So all we can do is try to use our observations, try to use understandings from our current environment and culture to, to describe the nature of God. Uh, so um, the Bible, both in Old and New Testament, talks about um, God uh, using the image of a shepherd. Mm -hmm. Well, again, for, for most of us, that's not an image that has much meaning. We understand historically the role of a shepherd, but most of us don't have sheep. Right. But in, in, in both Old and New Testament context, that was an image that people were familiar with. So it was an image that they used to talk about God, to talk about the indescribable. In the world of the Old Testament, you're dealing with ancient cultures, which we know, um, particularly in the ancient Near East, tended to be tended to be very violent. The other gods that were worshipped in the ancient Near East were seen as very, very capricious gods, often very angry gods. Uh, tragedy in the world was often attributed to those gods acting out of anger. I just wonder if some of the Old Testament writers were using images that they understood from their culture to describe or explain what they believed God was doing. And as our understanding of God, as people's understandings of God continue to develop and progress, we get to the point of Jesus where Jesus is almost correcting some of that understanding of God. So, you know, are the writers of the Old Testament, are they, they, are they literally describing a God of, of, of vengeance and wrath? Because that's often the, the issue uh -huh. uh, that we try to harmonize with the, the love and acceptance of the God of the New Testament. Or are they simply using what they understood about life in the world to try to describe uh, this God uh, that was undescribable to them. So I, I think in my mind, it's more about the author's perspective than it is about the God of the Old Testament being different from the God of, of the New Testament. And I think when we view it in that context, it lets us harmonize um, <laughs> the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, which again, as Christians, we believe is one God, mm -hmm. uh, harmonize those accounts in a, in a meaningful way. Again, there are other explanations out there, but in my mind, uh, that's the one that makes the most sense. So it does, again, it goes back to context, right? It goes back to when it was written, where it was absolutely written, who was writing it absolutely the the uh, almost the day and time right it was being written right because as you said a different writer in a different era is facing different situations right and therefore their perspective not clouded but influenced now, their perspective uh, is influenced and so they're going to write in a certain way absolutely and and it makes sense that it, particularly in the old testament 
the writers would be writing out of their religious culture, out of what they understood about how the gods acted in the ancient world. Because mm-hmm. again, the ancient world is is very religious. It's filled with uh, many different deities that are acknowledged or, or worshipped. Right. You know, could could the the Old Testament writers be using a lot of that imagery to explain what they believe uh, this new God is doing? The amazing thing, uh, Ben, when you contextualize it all is how different the writings of the Old Testament are from other ancient religious writings in their description of this this new God, this God of the Israelites, because by comparison, uh, he's not at all as as capricious or as vengeful or as wrath-filled. As, as many of the other deities that we read about in the ancient world. If we were in an ancient world context, this, this God would stand out as different and apart uh, from, from a lot of the other gods described in, in ancient literature. And, and, and that's, you know, partly our challenge is, I'll speak for myself, I don't read a lot of ancient literature uh, to, to, to get that information. So we're reading one-sided. Is my point. Uh, uh, we're reading one-sided, and we're, then we're making a, a a global comment based on a one-sided perspective. That, that that's right. And and a helpful way to think of it is if we um, if you think about some of the songs that are written today that talk about the nature of God, they use images that make sense to a 21st century culture. Mm-hmm. Now, with what we're learning. Um, in science and physics these days, what we're learning even in, 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 in psychology and, and some of the social sciences, we know that, that the world, the universe, is a lot bigger than we, we think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're learning things that are just, just mind-blowing about how the universe functions, how big the universe is, how vast it is, uh, things that we don't have uh, uh, much understanding of at all. So imagine if we're uh, humanity is still here um, a thousand years from now or two thousand years from now. Sure, it's reasonable to think that humanity will be so advanced in its understanding of life that the images we used in 2020 to describe this God would seem ancient and and maybe even barbaric uh, by by a future standard because more is understood of life more is understood of the world and that gives us new imagery and new vocabulary to try to explain or describe the the indescribable i think the key in all of it is jesus really becomes the defining moment because in jesus you no longer have a person who is trying to describe God. Mm-hmm. You have a person saying, I am God. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't need any images to, to describe this God. Look at my life. Look at how I live. This is what God is like. Which, again, goes back to reading context Absolutely. instead of picking chapters and verses. Right. Is that where we would say perhaps... Um, in John chapter one, why John says, why John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word the word is God. Right. He's using the word word as an expression. 
Jesus is the expression of God. And so we ask, what is, well, what is God like? Well, look at Christ. Right. Christ is the very expression of God himself, which is why John uses the language he uses. And particularly how Jesus functions in the context of relationships, because relationships really transcend time. The, the relational issues that people had in the first century are no different than the relational issues people had today uh, and so have today. And so Jesus now in the context of relationships, what's he constantly doing? He's modeling for us what God is like. He doesn't have to use uh, first century descriptors uh, mm-hmm. to make his point. He, he's modeling his point by how he connects to and relates with other people. And of course, that the prevailing idea here is that God, God is love. That mm-hmm. God is is uh, his his capacity to love is infinite, as is his inclusivity. That mm-hmm. that love is available to all people. So even if you um, read the Old Testament, that is not lost in the Old Testament either. Not at God all. God is love. And you see it throughout. I, w- I would argue just by the nature of creation, right. God is love. The creation around us plus the creation of humanity. A- a- absolutely. And again, Ben, if you were to compare the Old Testament text with other ancient documents, you know, for, for instance, you know, there are a number of creation stories that circulate around the ancient world, mm-hmm. and they've got a lot of similarities to, to the Genesis text, but they're also radically different. Um, you know, the, 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 the Babylonian uh, creation story, which is probably the closest um, in parallels to the biblical account. I mean, it's full of conflict. It's full of intrigue. It's full of the gods um, acting selfishly. Mm-hmm. You get none of that uh, in, in the biblical account of creation. So, so what do you have? You have these two ancient documents where this one God in the Old Testament against other ancient sources stands out as radically different. This, this is a God who's not capricious. This is a God who's not selfish. This is a God who is on the side of the oppressed. This is a God who wants to make a difference because he's a God of love. And again, if you go and contextualize that against other ancient documents, you see it. When we take the text purely out of context, we look at the Old Testament and we say, oh my, that God was terrible. Well, (laughs) no, Uh, we've got to give space for people's understanding of God to develop. And we've got to give space for the biblical writers understanding of God to develop. The New Testament writers teach us that when when they say, you know, that they're sharing with us things that they've learned from Jesus that that for years were, were left hidden, that people didn't understand who followed God. But now in the person of Jesus, we see more clearly who God is and what he's like. Right. And that that that's that's probably a good transition to this this uh third question that I've got that uh, it's it kind of comes up out of the message that you spoke this weekend introducing the Immerse series. You, you went back and you used a, a passage out of Luke because Immerse Messiah starts with the Gospel of Luke. So right. in the first, in the first uh, uh, readings, you're going to read through the Gospel. And you chose a, a passage that talked about uh, new wine, new wine skin, and uh, a new patch sewn to an old garment, which which if in, again, if you grew up in the church, metaphorically, what the church tried to say was, see, that's why we take 
the pews out of the church and we put seats in because <laughs> right, we're doing a new right. thing. That's why we put the drums on the, right? right? We're right. doing a new thing. New things is, is right. how the, 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 the North American church took that passage to say, you know, new things uh, are, are valuable, new things are good, and we can't keep doing things the, the way we used to. However, when we read the passage this weekend, you kind of, uh, I don't want to say tricked us on that. You kind of, you brought a great point because yeah. Luke's, Luke's, again, context, the writer, who he's writing to at a certain period of time and what he's trying to communicate. Going back, if we take this concept of the Old Testament coming into the New Testament era, Luke is using actually, if I heard you correctly, the old wine and new wine and saying, because he ends it, um, I don't have my note in front of me. The old wine is good enough. Is better. Is better. Yeah. The old wine is right. better. So now we've got to we got to we got to we got to relook at that, right? And we got to say, okay, what what's he saying about that? And um, I, I feel like this whole Old Testament New Testament concept is Jesus saying, Jesus describing, as you just said, who God is. God has always been this, right. is what I understand Jesus Absolutely. saying this. Luke, Luke is portraying this. God has always been this way. God has always acted this way. Right. God is the old garment. God That's is the right. old wineskin. Right. The new thing are the new rules, the new righteousness, the new regu you know, regulations. You know, you got to do this and or, you, know, you got to check all the boxes yeah. and things like that. And Jesus is saying, uh, not really. You know, yeah. that's really going to, in essence, it's going to destroy the fabric right. of, what, of what God was trying to weave in the first place. Switching it to the wine metaphor, because he uses both metaphors in the story, the, the, the new is going to burst the old system. Right. And at the end of the day, the old was really better. Right. Right. So can you touch about on that a little bit? Well, more? yeah. And, and again, um, there are different perspectives on on that particular parable. And, and, and certainly those who would argue that Jesus is saying that he's doing something new. But I think in Luke's uh, usage uh, of the parable, and this is certainly not a thought original to me, but, but you know, other scholars have, have, uh, have pointed it out. And that's where I learned it, it, have suggested that really Luke is arguing in his use of the parable that Jesus is not doing something new. Jesus is continuing the old ways of God, the, the, the tradition of God from the beginning of time, which was to, to love and include and save all humanity. And, and Jesus is all actually saying to, to introduce something new at this point would be crazy mm -hmm. uh, because what we don't need is a, we don't need a new thing. We need to understand the old thing. Right. And, and so Luke of, of the, three synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke is the only one that adds that final phrase, uh, mm -hmm. the old wine is better, which makes you wonder if if Luke is maybe using the story, choosing to use the story in a little different way than, than the other writers uh, in order to make the point that Jesus isn't um, doing something radically new. Jesus is continuing this historical tradition started by God, uh, really at creation, and of course most clearly seen in, in in God's role in the Exodus as He comes to an oppressed people mm -hmm. and takes the side of the underdog uh, in, 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 instead of the conqueror, and and this is what God has been about uh, from the beginning of time. It's it's a it's a fascinating thought, and I loved the 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 mind game with that <laughs> because we talked about it last night in our in our life group 
as we watched the the video and and worshiped together and and discussed it um that it, it does really make you think differently and it does make you think back um uh, and and as i was reading along in the in the passage that you were that you were preaching through with that earlier in the passage and this is where it kind of solidified for me earlier in the passage it says uh, jesus jesus says the new will not match the old right. and then he goes on to describe and that's what that's when it tied it when it, when it, it tied it all together for me the new will not match the old the old is the thing that we need to be looking for. The new is the new regulations or or criteria, or as the Pharisees were doing, you know, new laws mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with the old. Yeah, in the parable, it's fascinating. If you really look at it, the new is the destructive force. Right. The right. new cloth tears the old. The right. new wine bursts the old wineskins. And again, uh, there are lots of people who would take a different approach to interpreting this, and, and this is certainly not um, uh, not one that, that is probably worth arguing about, but it does really challenge us to think about the biblical text in its own right, not in the way maybe it's always been presented to us, not in the way we've just always assumed it to be speaking, but to really look from from a position of context and say, what is really going on here? Right, because Jesus is continually pointing us back to the message of God. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times what we've seen in our culture is the the quote unquote new. We try, we've tried to attach that to method. Right. Which is fine. We 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 need different methods right. as as culture evolves. We need new. Uh, this podcast is a new right. method, but the message hasn't changed. That's right. And I think that's what Jesus was addressing. Jesus was addressing you're trying you're changing the message of of truth, and we can't change that. Right. And 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 it's interesting what message Jesus uses to make his point about God. He's he's constantly going back to what we would now call the Old Testament. So mm-hmm. he, he's constantly going back to that that God that some people perceive in the present as is that angry, hateful, vengeful God. It's it's those scriptures, it's those documents that Jesus is using to say no. This God is is a God of infinite love. This God is a God of infinite mercy. This God is a God of, of radical inclusivity. And those old ancient documents prove that. So where life and faith meet every day, day in and day out, the challenge for for the the, the ch- whether you're a churchgoer or you're investigating faith for the first time with the immersed challenge that we're presenting is that the story of of God has not changed, and and through this challenge, we're gonna we're gonna rediscover that and 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 reengage with that. Is that yeah? Is that and, true? And, and and to allow the story to 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 work on us, to 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 inform us, and hopefully to to transform us in new and fresh ways. Because again, maybe maybe we're seeing it uh, uh, through through a lens that we haven't looked at it uh, before. Well, that was a great start to the Immerse Challenge. I hope that we've been able to answer uh, some of your questions today. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review to make it easier for others to find. If you have questions that you want included in this, simply email those questions to questions at mcleanchurch.org. That's questions at mcleanchurch, M-C-L-A-N-E, church.org. 
and we will uh, field those those questions and uh, get back to you. I want to thank uh, Pastor Brian Kelly for joining us today, and I hope that our time together today will help you navigate life and faith.